Hi, and welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time discovering everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me, as always, is our always-was-a-gamer, Dimitri. Hi, and thanks for joining us. So this episode is going to be a bit of a primer to give you a little bit of a context about who we are, our history with games, and the overall goals for the show. Um, If this is something you don't really care about and want to get right to the games... (laughs) Fair enough. uh, There's good news. The first two real episodes should be posted now. Um, But for now, I do want to get into Michelle's history with games because it's kind of a bizarre history. Yeah, I mean... I would guess that there are more people with my history than we would think, but we don't hear from there too often, which is part of why we wanted to to do this project. So basically, I played games a little bit when I was a really young kid. I mean, like uh, primary school and younger. And then I sort of bounced off them for about, I'm going to say 15 years, maybe more than that, maybe 20. And then I came back to games as an adult, quickly fell in love, and I've been sort of back into games and following them really actively and playing a lot of stuff and following games media for about 10 good years. But because of this weird pattern, I have this chunk of time in my history where I wasn't there. So there's all these huge games that came out in that period that people talk about all the time that I hear brought up and that I just, I I have no idea what they, what they are or what they're about. Yeah. You've done, since you've kind of picked games back up, you've done a really good job keeping up, but it's it's so hard to just keep up mm-hmm. that there's sometimes little incentive to go back. Right. And I think we're getting to the point where you're realizing that there is kind of this huge spate of what a lot of people say are really important games, really great games, some of the best ever made. Yeah. We wanted some kind of an excuse for you to go and revisit them. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is interesting, so this is something that I maybe uh, I'm sure a bunch of people do this, but it's something I find very funny, is that Michelle, even when she's into something... If it's not something that she cares about or has a point of <laughs> reference for, she just kind of will tune out yeah. things that you'd think that one would kind of absorb via cultural osmosis. <laughs> I can just not know or not retain things <laughs> so, incredibly easily. <laughs> so as a, as a good kind of non-game example, I, I realized a few years ago that Michelle knew nothing at all about Harry Potter. Yeah. Like nothing. Yeah. Not just... Like less than you're thinking. <laughs> not just plot intricacies. <laughs> Uh, but like she never, she didn't know what a Voldemort was. I knew he was the big bad, probably. I don't think you knew that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did this little experiment where, I mean, Michelle refused to read the books. Yeah, no. But we did see, we did watch the movies. And part of why I was interested is, okay, could somebody knowing pretty much nothing about this series actually understand the plot just by watching the movies? The answer was no. <laughs> the answer is no, apparently. <laughs> But it was still such a, a fun experiment. And I've been noticing these things when Michelle talks about games that she'll know something very <laughs> specific about a series. Like, for example, you know that in Shenmue, yeah. you have to do weird <laughs> mundane jobs. Yeah, you have to. There's a big segment where you do very, very boring work to save up for something. Like somehow you've internalized that. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think you could tell me anything else about Shenmue. Oh, I have no <laughs> idea what genre of game Shenmue is. I mean, I, I would guess it's an RPG, but like, I don't know. I don't know anything else. That's the end of my Shenmue knowledge. (laughs) So part of this project is to fill in some of these uh, historical blind spots Mm -hmm. and figure out kind of what Michelle knows. And maybe um, the hope is to kind of by going back that you'll appreciate the stuff you play now, maybe even more. Yeah. And I'm also excited about this. Like, I I guess I want to stress out the gate that this isn't for us really about like remedying a deficiency in my (laughs) like game engagement. I I don't feel bad for not having played these games. I just feel like there's so much in here that so many people love and that so many people whose tastes I really 
have a lot of similarity with and who I really respect, love some games from this era, like there might be some really awesome stuff in there that I am missing out on. Yeah. And so maybe to start, we can go through your history with games, give people a brief snapshot of where you're coming from sure. and where you where you kind of left off and then where you pick them back up. So in my house growing up from the time when I was really, really little, and I mean, probably like three or four through like primary school, we had a couple of like family game consoles in the house. And so I played sort of a bunch of the big kid friendly titles on those. So we had a original Nintendo, we had an SNES, we had a Sega Genesis. I got a Game Boy at some point. I don't remember when that was exactly, but I know I played it for a long time. I played Tetris for a while. Um, I still play Tetris. Uh, <laughs> so, and, and but now you play it when people can watch you. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if you want me to tell the story, but um, we found this uh, as evidence that Michelle was a gamer in her youth. <laughs> We found this home movie of, you were probably maybe seven. Yeah, we get seven. You had that big clunky Game Boy yep. and it, it was your mom holding the camera. I'm sitting on a couch yeah. intently into Tetris. And whoever's holding the camera comes in the room and Michelle just looks up. And, and is like, Michelle, what do, you, what do you got there? What are you doing? And Michelle just looks up and just says, excuse me, this is a private game of Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we were both wieners as kids. You don't want to start this. <laughs> But yeah, no, so I did I did have some intensity <laughs> even back then, I guess. But yeah, so I mean, I played, I would have played like, I played a lot of Duck Hunt. We played Super Mario Brothers 1 and 3. I would have played Super Mario World, Donkey Kong Country. I played a ton of Tetris. I played a ton of uh, some weird Sega Genesis games, you know, some other odds and ends, like definitely played some Sonic. I remember weirdly playing a lot of Tasmania. <laughs> That's not a great game. Um and Vector Man also, I don't know. It's also worth noting here that Michelle's actually the oldest. So this is yeah. her playing her brother's consoles. These yeah. were, I guess, ostensibly for the family or for you. Yeah. And I have a real question, actually, about how they got in our house in the first place. Because like my, it's not like my parents like were playing video games in like the 70s or 80s or anything. Like I don't, that's not what's up. So someone who wasn't me made a decision to bring those into mm -hmm. our house at some point. And I, I have a lot of questions about how that actually happened or like how they decided what games we should have. Because I wasn't like reading Nintendo Power and asking my parents for stuff. Right. It just they just materialized in the house and I would pick them up and play them. So, yeah, maybe we can get to the bottom of that. One yeah, day. I would love to. Uh, so you you were kind of engaged as a kid. I know. Yeah. Donkey Kong Country is something that mm -hmm. you still reminisce fondly about. Yep. And you seem to have been really into them and and something that you kind of enjoy doing, we're good at, and then you just dropped off. So what happened? So, I mean, I guess I want to say first off that this isn't like one of those stories where like anyone was telling me that like, girls shouldn't play games like that. There wasn't that in my house at all. Um, I, I don't really have a clear memory of this. I think partially I may have just lost interest, but it was also around the time that my two younger brothers who were a year apart and are about... Uh, four and five years younger than me, would have started picking up the consoles. And so I wonder if part of it was having to compete for time with the systems or them as a pair together wanting to play different games than I was into. I mean, that's speculation, but I could see it being the case. 
Also, none of my friends were ever into video games. Like, I've never had a social community of friends who got together and played games or anything like this. So I didn't have community around this at all. So I I think I just drifted away. I mean, I, th- I think I just got into other things. Um, and I guess that would have been around the transition, f- like late primary school, I'm going to say, like maybe grade two, three, I probably started to drift off. I mean, I... and. I basically didn't pick them up again until like 10 years ago. There is one very important blip in the middle, which is very bizarre, but worth noting. Uh, The summer between high school and university, I randomly played Final Fantasy IX purely because I had some time off. And uh, one of my brothers said, oh, you actually might really like this. So I played that, loved it, still one of my favorites. But then I didn't like that didn't get me back into the medium, I think, because like I was moving away for school right after and then I was sort of absorbed into university. So I think I just was distracted by other things. But yeah, that's it until we pick back up in like the late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah, like 2009, 2010. So what was it that uh, that kind of got you back into games? I think it was around, yeah, it was around that period. So you kind of slowly started getting back into them. And then there's like, on a fluke, you ordered your own PS4. And it yeah. was, oh, no, you ordered your own PS3. PS3. And it was all, uh, it was kind of all over from there. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think what happened was, I mean, we started spending more time together, and you were really into games. And so I think that I think through that, I started to remember like, oh, yeah, I used to play so much of this stuff. Like, I haven't thought about that in so long. And I think actually the first thing I picked up again was, I think I replayed Final Fantasy IX as a nostalgia trip. And then from there, I think you had sort of suggested, oh, you might like Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy X. So I played a bunch of those through that era. And then... Yeah, so this is... Sorry to interrupt, but this is the one exception of you actually going back and playing older things. It's You do have a very good coverage Final Fantasies are done. Yeah, Final Fantasies are... (laughs) And like JRPGs in general. Yeah. You've done Chrono Trigger. You did Chrono Cross, which you love. I love Chrono Cross. There's definitely still some kind of big ones that um, you haven't played, yeah. but you're very familiar with that as a genre. The- yeah. So we won't be picking up a whole lot of those in the podcast, I don't think, because this is a space where I don't feel like I have as big gaps as in a lot of other genres. So at this point, uh, I had been unemployed for a little bit. And to try to keep myself sane, I was trying to work on this creative project of of trying to push myself to write a novel. I'd done an English degree, whatever. Um and I think you had said, because I was trying to write a sci-fi novel, and you were like, oh, actually, this game Bioshock has really interesting world building. You should check it out. I don't think you told me anything other than that. And so I was like, okay, like we'll we'll pick that up and try it. And so this was my first, A, non-turn-based like combat, and B, like navigating in 3D space action shooter kind of game. Boy, was I bad at it. Boy, did it scare <laughs> me to death. But also... I just like immediately was in love, like all plans to write it. I, I can't imagine ever wanting to write a novel again. I can easily imagine wanting to tinker around with making a game, mm. but like this, this format just clicked with me so, so strongly. So what was it then about games when you jump back in that really, um, that did stick with you and why have you stuck with them up until now? I mean, I wish I could give you an easy, clear answer for this. I think it probably has a lot of overlap with the reason that you love games and the reason that a lot of other people do as well. Um, I think the interactiveness is exciting. Uh, I was seeing uh, different, in many cases, less directional options for storytelling, different approaches to world building that I hadn't seen before. Um, and obviously, they uh, often borrow a lot from other mediums, including film and and books and stuff like that. But I don't know. It just also there's like this seamless 
pleasure and fun and playfulness and joy uh, alongside some like big ideas and interesting creative work that I really like. I mean, this also coincides with me making real strides to take myself a little less seriously um, (laughs) and have a little more fun in general. So I think it just was a perfect storm of a lot of different factors. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I think you came in at a good time. You came in when there was this indie boom. So there's a lot of uh, shorter games, shorter experiences that were experimental. So I think you could see pretty quickly from a variety of games that games are not maybe what you thought they were. Mm-hmm. There was a wide spectrum of them, even ones you might have thought weren't for you, could be for you for yeah, maybe for plot reasons, for world building reasons, right? Otherwise, I don't... The reason you picked up what is essentially a first-person shooter is for kind of the, the world building mm-hmm. reasons in this case, yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is, there is, I think, something that also comes with this territory of getting into games it's it's a word that I know you you think about a lot. It's it's in the title of this show, which is there kind of as a as a joke, but kind of seriously. And so, what's your relationship with this word, the the G word, gamer? Yeah. So, I mean, it it is very tongue in cheek in the title, and I have I feel a real ambivalence towards this. I think like I still so after ten years, I know a fair bit. I'm pretty plugged in with what's been going on with games in the era when I've been paying attention, right? So I have this sort of decent depth of knowledge over this period, but I still feel sort of an insider outsiderness in game communities because of this weird history where I wasn't there for so, so much of the of the development of this medium, right? Like there's lots of big landmark stuff that happened in that gap where I wasn't paying attention. I think um, the other thing that's part of this is because you do listen to a lot of games media mm-hmm. and the people you listen to are our age-ish, mm-hmm. um, some a little older, some a little younger, but... Which is like early mid-30s for for reference. But by and large, right, they, they are kind of formative games mm-hmm, mm-hmm. were from this period that you completely missed yeah. out on. <laughs> And so there's also that piece where the things you're hearing referenced all the time yeah. is precisely from the point where you you kind of missed out. You know, in 20 years, if you're listening to games media, yeah. people had the formative experiences that you actually had. Right. Uh, maybe you would feel differently. But right. I think right now, yeah, there's there's often these reference points where I know you feel kind of left out of the conversation. Yeah. And we're in kind of peak nostalgia for some of that, too, <laughs> right? A lot of things are getting reissues or re-releases. You talked earlier about my my weird tendency to selectively know and not know certain things that I've absorbed. I think part of this is also a function of how a lot of games media um, uses or cites some of those big formative games, because often you know it's in lots of genre titles. Like hmm. uh, this is a this is a Soulsborne, this is a roguelike, this is a whatever. And uh, or, you know, the art of this is sort of a uh, Mega Man style. And, you know, that's just Mm -hmm. brought up without any further explanation. And so from context over time, I've absorbed a little bit of what those mean. And so I have a rough picture of what some of that is, but it's also left these big, weird holes, right, where no one explains like what a Mega Man game is every time they want to reference it on a podcast, which is also fair. Like, I don't it would slow down these conversations to a halt to have to do that constantly, but it does have the side effect for someone like me who's mm-hmm. coming in with a patchy history or entering late or whatever of being like, uh, I don't really, okay, whatever, I'll just infer what I can from context <laughs> and keep listening. So with Gamer, I don't know, I feel this like, I feel on the one hand like I want to be able to claim that I have some legitimacy in this space of loving this thing that I love and knowing what I know about it and thinking what I think about it, even though 
I have these gaps, right? Like in some way, I want to still feel like the things that I think and know today are are valid. And at the same time, I think the term gamer is so mired in like absolute trash gatekeeping exclusionism, which like this is maybe the time to say that I have a hair trigger sensitivity to anything that reeks of gatekeeping. And I hate it. I have less than no time for that. Like I I so radically want to welcome everyone into this space and like give people room to like what they like and play how they want to play. I think like that's a super healthy thing for adults to have. And, you know, I I am super against sort of like fetishizing knowledge of of certain things. I'm against using people's not having played certain things against them. So I don't know. I I really feel ambivalent <laughs> about this term. And the title is sort of reflective of that, of me both wanting to be able to to feel legitimized and also feeling like I don't need to be legitimized. You know, it's this <laughs> whole it's a whole thing. It's a whole <laughs> thing. I mean, also probably relevant is I I missed a bunch of fundamental experiences about a bunch of folks together, like on a couch, hanging out and playing games. Like I've never had that experience in my life. The closest I've ever come is like times when you and I have, have co-opted stuff. Um, and even now in my social and professional circles, it's not really like normal or common to be someone in your 30s who still cares a lot about games. Not that I feel any embarrassment about that, but it's just unusual. So I don't know. I still feel sort of caught between worlds of like people who don't know anything and don't care about games and people who are so invested in it. And this has been their thing for their whole life. And hopefully as part of this project, as we go back and play through some older stuff and you start talking about games more, you can um, figure out kind of where you where you fit in. Um, it's possible that you might just still kind of end up in this you know, liminal space in between, <laughs> but at least you'll have that knowledge. So. Then we know. <laughs> uh, so you've touched on some of the things you like already. So maybe we can quickly go through the games that you do like. So what does resonate with you? Just mm-hmm. to give people listening a sense of what you're more inclined to like and some of the stuff you've never played. So, I mean, you've mentioned JRPGs already yeah, and how you have some affinity for plot, narrative, world building, story. Is that really the the through line of of kind of all of your favorites? Uh, in a lot of ways, yes. I mean, there are outliers in any of these cases, so it's not that those are um, like that there can't that I can't love a game that doesn't have those. But I would say that's certainly what hooked me initially. And still, if you want to talk about what's like bait for me, that's definitely it. I I would say consistently my favorites uh, have great art, great music, and a strong sense of place or world. But that is starting to, I'm starting to embrace a little broader range of genres, I would say, over the last two or three years. Yeah, one thing I've really noticed talking with you um, recently, um, over the last few months or or few years, is that I think your relationship to games has shifted where initially they were not a replacement for, but kind of substituting in for other media. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you'd go there for narrative, you go there for plot, and you go there for things that you might find in other forms of fiction. Right. Uh, but recently you've been really thinking about mechanics more and going to games because of a certain mechanic. Yeah, no, I agree with that for sure. I mean, probably my favorite game last year or the year before, I forget which, was Into the Breach, which is not a story-heavy game. That's a very mechanical, very like thoughtful, puzzly strategy game. And... So yeah, there, you know, there's room in my heart for other for other things, but I think that's also just, you know, it, you 
that's just a function of spending more time with the medium, right? Like you, your first time picking up a game, maybe some people are like smart and savvy enough to to dig right into like, ooh, mechanically so interesting. But yeah, it, it took me a minute to get there, but I'm there now. Yeah. And so if we're just going to go quickly over maybe five of your landmark games, just to get, okay. give everybody a sense of where you're coming in from. So five games that really either influence you in the past, influence your taste now. Sure. Just ones that you consider essential to your development as a, as a gamer. Oh boy. So just to clarify, these are not the five games that I think are the best five games that I've ever played or even necessarily my favorite. These are like mm. formative yeah. tentpole things. So first of all, for early, I think Donkey Kong Country, I played a ton of that. It's one of the first games that I was really good at. Um, I think that was my first experience of like mastering a platformer, uh, feeling the pleasure of knowing secrets and just enjoying like a really beautiful, well-made game. Uh, Final Fantasy IX, which I talked about earlier, has to be in there because um, it sort of is emblematic of and formed my taste for really great characters. Uh, It's an epic story full of feeling, which I still really love. And, you know, it was sort of made accessible to me as someone who hadn't been playing games that whole period and hadn't learned how to do 3D space really by the fact that it had turn-based combat. So I have time to think about what I'm doing and then do it. My next one I think would be Bioshock, which I talked about a little bit already, but it was the first 3D first-person shooter and first sort of more contemporary game that I played. Like I played it within a year or two of when it came out. And it sort of is really how I started to think that maybe it's not just retro games that are for me. Maybe there's something really interesting going on right now. I do want to say that I don't necessarily uh, still like really feel passion for that series, but it did mean something to me in the moment. So it, it has to be on the list. Um, somewhat similarly, uh, the Mass Effect trilogy, for all its flaws, was probably the first game series that uh, that is contemporary that like I picked up based on my own interests and not because someone else, mostly you, had suggested it for me. Yeah, and- I think this was the first. Mass Effect 1 was the first game that you played that I hadn't played yet. Right, right, and I, right. And I played the series after you had finished it. Right. Yeah. And it just, it was love. Like, I don't, from that first playthrough, I don't know when I've ever loved characters more, felt more intensely about a story. Like, I just, this was like what I wanted in that moment so much. And it's still a really important series for me, even though like, boy, is it flawed. And then I I guess my last one probably would be Fire Emblem Awakening, Mostly because this was, you know, sort of like Bioshock. This was my first step into another genre, which was strategy games that has since become really important to me. It's sort of story and character driven enough that it it was easy for me to get into it. um, But it opened up a whole other world of things that aren't aren't other kinds of RPGs. Okay, and do you have? Uh, do you want to just give ten seconds of other big ones that you couldn't fit in? Okay, shoutouts to Into the Breach, Witcher Three, Near Automata, Persona Four, the Danganronpa series, Night in the Woods. Oh God, what else? Probably a whole bunch of other things <laughs> that I can't think of right now. Um, yeah, I. But even there, right? Games again, are good. Apart <laughs> from Into the Breach, we do see right story driven, world driven, yeah. character driven. Yeah, I mean that's that's but, what I like. Yeah. And so we're going to see, because we're going to get to some stuff that is not any of those things. So I mean, we'll Donkey Kong Country, Tropical Freeze, shout out to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I, I have a thing for sure. And so then I guess on the flip side, what are the things that you tend to resist or genres that you have little experience with or things that you're kind of scared that we're going <laughs> to deal with on the show? 
Um, I would say competitive games of any kind I sort of have shied away from. Again, because I kind of came late to games, I was just bad at them for the first bunch, and I'm still not really sure that I'm great at them, Um, which is sort of fine when I can play one player and go at my own pace, but in competitive stuff, it just stresses me out. Uh, Multiplayer things, things that are really narrowly focused on combat, and almost anything that people describe as highly difficult it, I'm like, uh, no, 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 that's not for me. Except for Into the Breach, which okay. is hard and which I rule at. So this is strange, because on your list, you have Into the Breach and you have Donkey Kong Country, which is not an easy platform. No, it's not. Um, a lot of people, I think, would call it difficult. Mm-hmm. So what is this about difficulty or when other people say things are difficult that uh, turns you away when it's clear that in some cases you're fine with games that are otherwise difficult? Yeah, so this is really, really complicated. So... There's, there's the side of this that's about other people, and there's the side of this that's about me. So first of all, part of my, I think, knee-jerk distaste for any anything that reeks of gatekeeping is I find sometimes people who are really into games are really proud of themselves for playing games that are difficult. Like that almost becomes in and of <laughs> itself a badge of honor or like validity, and I don't like that. Games shouldn't Stockholm Syndrome you into thinking that they're good games, right? Like... Um, not calling out any developers in in particular. Um, But also the other side of this is that like for me, and this isn't something I'm really proud of, but I don't, I don't like doing things that I'm not immediately good at. Um, And that all sounds stupid to a lot of people, but also I'm sure some people will be like, oh yes, oh yes, I know this. Um, I don't like things that are, that are hard and that I have to work at and that don't come together really quickly. Historically. So games have actually been a space where increasingly I'm I'm finding safe environments to like try things and fail and struggle. And I, so I'm I'm trying to get better at this as a person and trying to em- embrace more things that have this like difficulty label. But it is still definitely a thing that is in my head. And like I get frustrated easily. Like I I think you've probably seen me do this before where I'll try a boss once or twice and then be like, I'm getting too worked up. Like I have to take a break and calm down before I can come back to this. So, I mean, I am at least coming back to it still, but it's hard for me to stay in the process of like, I'm going to keep fighting this guy over and over and over Mm -hmm. until I figure it out. That's really hard Mm -hmm. for me. That's not how, that's not how I work (laughs) automatically. Yeah, so I think uh, I think this is going to rub up against some of the games that we're we're going to. Uh, oh, I'm get sure. Into. I'm sure it will. <laughs> I look forward to that so it, much. <laughs> yeah, and that, me too. I think that I think that should be fun. And so this might be a good time to briefly explain my role in yeah. this, um, what my purpose is. So as Michelle said, I've been playing games pretty much my whole life. I started with the Sega Master System actually, and um, then in the NES, Super NES, kind of went from there, and never really stopped since then. Or over my life, I've played pretty widely, very much a Nintendo fanboy, especially kind of in those formative years, never really played much of the Genesis until later. So that was kind of a recent experiencing some of those games apart from like Sonic was more recent for me. And I do still have kind of my own blind spots. So we're going to hopefully address some of those along the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, we should probably mention also that you are also the oldest of your siblings. So what games were in your household growing up, at least for a part, would also probably have been driven by you. Yeah, so I was much more kind of connected to gaming culture earlier. Right. So I did read Nintendo Power. I did kind of make the choices of the games that would come into the house kind of myself, mm-hmm. or at least encourage my sure. my parents <laughs> to get certain games over others. 
And we can talk about maybe childhood experiences and on a future show or mm-hmm. our experiences playing with our parents or mm-hmm. with brothers. My mom was so good at <laughs> Super Mario 1. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like my mom was really good too when before I had brothers and when I was bad because yeah. she had to be or else I'd throw a fit. I remember coming home from lunch in kindergarten or grade one or something like that. And my mom having beaten Bowser <laughs> in Super Mario <laughs> Brothers 1 for the first time like mm-hmm. in our household and be like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, and the, and our moms kind of fell off too, and so I think oh, that completely. So that might be something to explore yeah. in the future. Uh, but yeah, I had I was kind of always playing games, and my brothers got into them, so we'd play together. My brothers are significantly younger, so six and ten years, but still we could still kind of play together, and that's kind of what helped connect us through all of these years. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons I'm really interested in this show and doing this show with Michelle is uh, because so many of my memories of these games and the games that Michelle hasn't played and will be playing for me they're tinged by nostalgia. And this is a common theme of, I, I think, a lot of kind of games media. Right. And because it is people playing the things that they loved as a kid. And that's super interesting. But I'm also really interested in to hear the experience of these games from someone who is not at all nostalgic for them. Are you nervous about what's going to come out? I'm really nervous. Because, <laughs> okay. um, yeah, usually with, with like nostalgia podcasts yeah, or media, it's safe. It's safe. You kind of know where they're going to go. Yeah. If they're talking about. We're all loving love, on this thing together. Yeah. And so I am ready for my heart to be broken in oh. some cases. And I'm not really looking forward to it, but I know it's going to happen. I'll be gentle. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> Uh, but I'm really excited to see some of my favorite games through fresh eyes. I think that's going to be really cool. Um, but at the same time, I kind of want my memories and my nostalgia for these games to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I'd like to try to do is to recreate, not if not the experience of the game for those who aren't nostalgic for it, um, at least kind of the experience of their context of their release. Mm-hmm. So trying to establish some context, give Michelle a sense of why they were important or exciting at their time. Right. Because they might not necessarily read as so today. Right. And we also do want to try to be like fair to them to a certain degree, right? Like it's it's sort of not fun to look at them exclusively through 2019 eyes. And like I think part of for me, it'll be important to have that context and to fill that in and mm-hmm. to think about um what you, what you were feeling about them at the time, what was mm-hmm. going on, what was the conversation. Like I'm really excited to hear that stuff as well. Yeah, like I do want to try to communicate why, for example, I was incredibly, incredibly excited when Mortal Kombat 2 was coming okay. out or when Mario 64 was coming out. Like, okay. Obsessed with with kind of reading the previews for these games. Cool. Because right now I think they just kind of exist in the world and they're kind of available to you if you want to play them. Right. And so I'd like to kind of try to explain where that excitement came from and maybe give you a little bit of that to go into the games with so that uh, you don't break my heart. By- okay. The other thing I'm really interested in is, so on this show, we're not going to be playing, we're not going to go through kind of a chronological history of the game. Right. Just for pacing issues and because that's not how anybody experiences games now. And I'm kind of really excited to see how Michelle encounters this history of games out of order, how she makes connections between different games that we play for the show or between games that we play for the show and games she's played on her own time, and also how she adapts to playing genres she's completely unfamiliar with yep, or picking up controllers that she's never touched before or engaging in play styles um, or types of games that she's never encountered. Again, going back to that, her moment playing Bioshock, it's just this watching <laughs> her try to navigate the 3D space on her kind of first moment with a dual stick yeah. controller was, it was kind of this moment for me where I realized how inaccessible games are for people who might've had this gap. Like for me, it was, you go from like your Super Nintendo controller to your 
PlayStation or N64, so you kind of get used to the analog stick, mm -hmm. and then you bring in, you know, the second analog stick, and it's kind of slowly builds, whereas you kind of went from nothing to all of a sudden, you know, like a 14 button Bioshock. on a controller. Yeah, I missed the whole transition to 3D. Yeah. Yeah. And so so getting to talk through some of those things, I think, is going to be um, very, very enlightening. Yeah, there was, there was so much that was interesting about that first time with Bioshock. I, I remember not you yelling at me to pick stuff up off the ground and being like, the thing that's shiny, the thing that's shiny, <laughs> and me just not being able to pick that out of like having to learn the visual language and be yeah. like, why would I think that I, like, why, it really, it, why would it being shiny mean anything to me? Yeah, it really is going to be a process of you having to learn a new language and yeah. having learned a new language. So yeah. that, I think that's going to be fun. And really one of my hopes is that you end up finding some new favorites. Me um, too. Something that always gives me anxiety is this idea that maybe my favorite something, like my favorite song, my favorite book, my favorite game already exists and I just haven't played it and I don't know about it. <laughs> But it's out there and I'm losing all of these years of not you having it. You missed it. You could have been with it this whole time. That Yeah, that gives me so much anxiety. Right. And I don't want you to have to live with that I because some of these <laughs> games might be your favorites. And well, let me let me relieve you. I don't have that anxiety. Like, I think because <laughs> I I was not with games for so long. This is all just gravy now. Like, I think I have the opposite where I'm like, there is so much here to discover. There is a wealth and like this enormous library that is just like a playground. Like, mm. it's just, let me taste everything that I want to taste out of this, like, huge buffet, um, especially because I don't feel really obligated to taste anything I don't want to <laughs> taste. I mean, the, this project is a little different experiment, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, I, I don't feel that anxiety at all. I just feel this, like, abundance like there's just so much like wh what a treat well it must be nice to live in that world <laughs> yeah i mean only in games <laughs> <laughs> so i think that's mostly it for the context um just to give a give you a little indication of what the structure of this of the show is going to be like um it is going to be a two-part structure so we're going to each game is at least at the beginning is going to be comprised of two episodes so the first episode is going to be a setup episode where we establish a baseline of what michelle knows about a game or a series mm -hmm. Get her to talk about her expectations and make some fun predictions so we can see how well her existing knowledge conforms to the actual game. This will be also a chance for me to provide some of this context to prime Michelle for the game, to give her a sense of why the game was notable when it was released, or some of the larger cultural issues surrounding it. I'm so excited about this part. And these setup episodes are also going to be the place where we talk about some of the broader cultural topics related to gaming. So that might be the place where we talk about the concept of difficulty right. in more detail or a specific genre, subgenre, or thoughts on boss fights as a convention. Mm -hmm. And then Michelle will go play the game, and then we'll have a, an episode of Debrief where she talks about her experiences in detail. And this is our chance to talk about our tastes, um, talk about game design choices that maybe Michelle or I found compelling about this game, dig into specific mechanical or narrative elements. And then at the end, Michelle will um, score the game using a scale that she refuses to tell me about. It's too rigorous to get into. You'll get a feel for it as we go. <laughs> so that's the general idea. The format may change as we go once we get through some big boy games. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> I should probably not use the phrase big boy games. <laughs> there's so much baggage there. But <laughs> once we get through those games, um, we might not need two parts to discuss every game, but um, we'll be flexible. But these these episodes, especially at first, are probably going to be beefy. As you can probably tell, we talk a lot. Uh-huh. So we're going to release them on an every other week's schedule um, to give Michelle time to play the games and 
I do have a day job. <laughs> and to give people time to digest all of our ramblings. <laughs> so maybe finally we can just explain how we're choosing the games and kind of set up the first game that we're going into. Right. So we do have this ever-growing list of games that Michelle and I have been compiling um, based on things that she wants to play and things that I think she should play. Yeah, and we are very much doing this together. Like, I think we should stress here also that, like, the dynamic of this of this whole project is very much not like uh, dude forces lady to play a bunch of stuff so she will be educated about games. Like, this is very much like a, a joint collaborative thing where every every choice we make is a mix between like what makes sense because it sort of meets our criteria of being a big formative game and also that I have a shred of interest <laughs> in and want to play. And we think we'll have something to say about. Yeah, and I'm going to do my best to not do any backseat gaming. I mean, I could use support. <laughs> Just support. Just support. Um, and again, like I'm hoping that through this process, we fill in some of my blind spots as well. So you have kind of this list in front of you. We're not mm-hmm. going to run through it, but maybe if you could just pick out um, two or three games that you're either really excited to play or ones that you're dreading. Sure. Uh, I am I have never played a Zelda start to finish. I played a bit of Link to, Link to the Past uh, back in the day, but then I got stuck and never finished it. Um, I'm excited to get one of those under my belt. I'm really stoked to play Super Metroid. Uh, I'm looking forward to Shadow of the Colossus. That's sort of very close to a game that I would just choose to play mm. because of my <laughs> my own taste. Um, that one almost feels like cheating. Uh, I am dreading some of these. I'm scared that I won't like one that has a really intense fan base <laughs> and that it's going to be unpleasant for me. But there's really only one that I'm truly freaked out about. And that is our, probably about a year from now, <laughs> our From Software game, either Dark Souls or Bloodborne. Yeah, you have, there's something about I have From some game. stuff about I this. I mean, it goes back to your thing with difficulty yep. and the way that people talk about the yep. difficulty of those games. I think you think that they're not actually good and that I people do. are I Stockholm Syndrome. I do. <laughs> and so, yeah, Michelle has some some baggage yeah. about From Which Software Which I come games. by honestly. I I come by honestly. We'll talk about it very explicitly when we get there. But we are sort of positioning that as sort of a goalpost that we're going to be working to over the next year as we try a bunch of different stuff. That's sort of a big, that is the Colossus whose (laughs) shadow looms over so much of this project. That is, yeah, that is definitely the first one. (laughs) So yeah, we're going to start working towards that. So you're not... Michelle doesn't think she's ready for that quite yet. No, we we got to warm up first. We're going to build some, to it. Got to do some warming up. We also don't know whether it's going to be Dark Souls or Bloodborne. No, and I think we're going to come to that decision in real time. Yeah. <laughs> talk it out. Yeah. Um, so I think we've talked enough about the context, and it's about time we get started on playing some of these games. I'm so very excited about this, uh, especially our first one. Um, thank you so much for listening. You can find us online at neverwasagamer.com. You can follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. And if you are enjoying this at all, it would help us so much for you to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. And uh, there's no use beating around the bush. Michelle will start off by playing a game that she's very excited to play, Super Metroid. It'll be her first stop on her quest to becoming a gamer. <laughs> <laughs>